All right, well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. We're talking today about the church is the temple of God. Right? The church is the temple of God. And uh, you're in 1 Peter 2. I'm going to read some scriptures over you, and you can listen for this concept as the Lord is, is bringing it out. Okay? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, as I read these things, be sure to listen for the singular and the plural. All right, listen for the singular and the plural. 1 Corinthians 6, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sinned against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is Second Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This is Ephesians chapter 2. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And then to 1 Peter 2, where you currently are, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. God, we thank you for the truths of your word. We thank you for the reality that we stand in as your people, that we are the temple of God. That no longer do we walk around going, where is God? And somebody points to a house far away and says, he's, he's there. And if you want him, go there but rather we are the temple of God and we are the temple of God together. So Lord, would you come with new, fresh revelation and clarity for us today about what it means for us to be who you made us to be and what it means for us to see ourselves the way that you see us. Align us, God, with the truths of our identity in you as your church, that we are the temple of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Gene, can you put that picture of the temple up on the screen, please? So this is a artistic representation, a pretty good one, of what Solomon's temple would have looked like. So when David wrote those Psalms of Ascent, he did not ascend to this. All right, David did, did like put together all the building materials for this, but he wasn't allowed to build it. It was Solomon that built it. And it supposedly is one of the greatest structures that was ever built in, the, uh, in ancient history. Um, the stories of the glory of Solomon's temple uh, were known literally all around the world. But for the Jewish people, this was a very, very simple concept. And the fact that you would invest this much money and these depths of resources and this much work to build this kind of a house for God was a no-brainer. This was literally a priceless structure. You could not put a value on this in today's real estate market. It, it would be that, val and the stuff in it would be that valuable. And we are talking solid gold, like sconces on the walls, the finest of tapestries and embroideries. Uh, I mean, art, this is, this is the, the greatest communal art piece of all time um, when it comes to the glory of God that we see that's present here. So, like I said, you would walk in out here somewhere down by this art piece. You would walk in somewhere out here through these beautiful, ornate gates, and you would walk into a courtyard, and in that courtyard would be Solomon's porch, and in that courtyard would be all of this... Uh, um, uh, people, right? People would be milling around, but people would also be getting ready for worship. So you could buy head coverings if you needed them in that place. You could buy sacrifices. It's, it's important to understand that when Jesus goes into the courtyard and turns the temple tables over, it's not because there was commerce happening there. It's because they were extorting people. It's because they were oppressing the poor people. 
They were charging ridiculous amounts of money for sacrifices that people couldn't afford. That, that's what made him mad. It was that this had become a place of thievery and robbery and extortion. But, but the, the courtyard was exactly what we were when we walked up to the temple. There would have always been music going. There would have always been worship. It would have been a place of joy, but it's also a place to connect and to like talk together and to engage and to be excited about the fact that we're here together again. So then you walk from the outer courtyard and this is what you would enter into, this inner courtyard, court area that's right here. And it would have wrapped all the way around the building. Um, but what you see right off here to the right, this is the brazen altar. And this is where the uh, sacrifices were brought. Over here would have been Solomon's labor. This thing holds 12,000 gallons of water um, and was made out of solid gold. Uh, 12,000 gallons of water. And then he had, he had 10 sub-basins made and put on uh, wheels. So the amount of, of uh, um, blood and dirt that priests would, you know, a priest could go to anywhere on the campus and wash and be ceremonial, ceremonially clean. Entering then into the holy place, what you would see as you would walk in, I mean, I mean, Solomon just took this to a whole other place. But right here is the table of showbread, and there would have been 12 pieces of bread, unbroken bread, on the table of showbread. Um, that represents the 12 people of Israel. And this would have been seen as food, and the priests would eat this. Also, you can see over here, Solomon had not just one golden lampstand, but he actually made five of them, um, solid gold. And these things were beat from one solid piece of gold. Right? I mean, the, the amount of skill that's present artistically in this is, is ridiculous. I mean, imagine a massive menorah this high. That, I mean, they, they would have had to have manipulated that metal so that it curved all the way out to that length. And then they put like, like paper-thin leaves and, and things dancing off of it, and all from one piece. It's just insane. Insane when you think about the level of skill that happens. Um, everything's cut. This is all cedars of Lebanon. Yay. Um, covered in gold. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the amount of expense here is just huge. Lampstand, table of showbread. Right here is the altar of incense. Everybody see that? Altar of incense, special incense. You could only use one kind. If you use any other kind, you were struck dead immediately. Um, it was very, very important that this incense was the right kind. Incense in, in the scriptures always represents what? Prayer. It always represents prayer. That's right. Walk up the steps, and we can see into the Holy of Holies, but this would, you would not have been able to because there would have been a veil right here. All right, and that veil was four inches thick, woven Right, woven out of wool, four inches thick. Did you ever try and tear a phone book in half? I mean, it's, it's like that. It, it, impossible, very, very heavy. And then you go into the Holy of Holies, and there's the Ark of the Covenant right there with the cherub that are on top. And what's on top of the Ark of the Covenant? God rules from his mercy seat, right? I gave you the answer. Um, God, I, was, I meant to say God rules from his what seat, but I said mercy seat. Um, God doesn't rule from his justice seat. God doesn't rule from his anger seat. He rules from his mercy seat, which includes justice, includes righteousness, includes all the things that he is. But he chooses that one to name his throne. That's interesting. Um, so this is what it looked like. This is really, really interesting. I'm going to tell you the overarching theme of the church is the temple of God right now, and then we'll just continue to pull at it through the rest of the time. So one of the things that's interesting about the temple is the concept of access. Access was completely forbidden 
in both the tabernacle, which was the temple before the temple. The tabernacle was that portable tent that they would take with them everywhere. Completely forbidden, except for the priests. Only the priests were allowed into the tabernacle. The people, if you were a common, normal person, you could only go to into the courtyards. You could be where the brazen altar was. You could be where the, where the uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the laver, the water was. This was actually called the sea because <laughs> the so big. Um, you could come into here, but you could not go in here. This was for priests only. And um, that was a very, very seriously held construct. Um, if you went beyond that, you were in very, very serious trouble, like the point where you didn't have to worry about humans at that point. Like you were just get struck dead. Um, the power and presence of God needed to be honored the way that God called it to be honored. And so the people of God were not allowed access to the house of God, but the people of God were represented. So here's a breakdown of the temple from a pictorial standpoint. You go into the courtyard, you come here. This is the brazen altar. Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. That where the Jews had to keep bringing sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, our sacrifice, Hebrews says, died once for all. So that we no longer have to keep bringing the blood of bulls and goats and keep atoning and atoning and atoning. But his atonement was one time for all of us. Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. And that blood, it would stain the priest's garments and they would have to clean. It would get all over their hands and under their fingernails and and it would spray up. I mean, if you ever butchered before, it is a messy job. And this would get all over them and they'd have to wash because they were made dirty by that which took the sin. Jesus is the water of life. We are cleansed by what, interestingly? By his blood, his blood cleanses that sin and we are made clean. You walk in and you're greeted with the table of showbread. Bread to them is different than bread to us. You can go to Giant right now and get as much bread as you want, right? You can get like 50 different kinds of bread. These folks worked all day to make one loaf of bread that they would eat, right? Bread in their day is that which without you die. Without bread, you don't make it. Jesus is what? The bread of life. He is that which, with which out we die. You can't see when you're in temple. There's no windows. You don't need them, though, because you have the golden lampstand that's always burning. Jesus is the light of the world. You got the Ark of the Covenant. God himself sits on this beautiful mercy seat, and this is his covenant with his people. We are together in this place. And in the covenant is the terms of the covenant. The law is in there. Aaron's rod that budded, life from death, is in there. Manna, bread from heaven to be sustained. Like that's in there. This is the terms of the covenant. This is what God sits on, is this. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bring life from death. You and I will understand each other and live together. And so the temple is always seen as the representation of Christ. And I've even heard it said that like humans, this is all about Jesus. But that's not true. You and I are represented in the temple because there is an altar of incense that is there. And what does incense represent? Prayer. Whose prayers? The saints. The saints. Now, look at the construct. Look at the construction. The altar of incense is the last thing that you get to before you get to the holiest place. This is the holy place. This is the holiest place. Uh, Holy of holies, we often call it. So in ancient Jewish structure, there's the altar here, and this represents our prayers, right? 
And there is God sitting on his mercy seat here. But what's in the way? A four-inch curtain. Jesus dies on the cross, and what happens? From where to where? From top to bottom. And now what happens? God is in his seat, and we are in his presence. And what is gone? The block. It's like God reaches down from heaven with his hands and tears top to bottom. No more. There will be no more division. My son's blood forever destroys the separation. One death for all. And now our communication is face to face. Right? I mean, it's right here. It's like, let's sit down together. Let's sit down together. Are you hungry? There's some bread over here. Are you thirsty? There's water. We can sit down and have a meal if you want, God. Let's do it. By all means. By all means. If anyone hears me knocking at the door, what's the great thing that God gives? And opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him. I'll eat with him. and he, It's just presence. It's just presence. And that's the point. The presence is the point. The people of God, Baruch, Atah, Adonai, God chose our nation. We, he lives with us. But if you walked into Israel, if you went to Galilee, north of Jerusalem, be like, so where's God? We'd all say, well, walk two days south. There's a city called Jerusalem. There's a huge, beautiful house there. And that's where God is. God's there. Great. That's what I'll do. And I'm going to go meet with God. The people of Israel, ah, God is in our nation. He is with us. Baruch, Atah, Adonai, he chose us over all peoples of the world. And he lives among us. So now, think about the church as the temple. Can you bring up the teaching slides, please? We've been thinking about the church's identities. The church is the temple of God. The church is the temple of God. So when we think about the church as the temple, think about it from this concept of God's perspective. When you think about the temple, what is the temple to God the Father? It's his house. That's right. It's his house. That's where he lives. Where's God's address? Center of Israel. That's, That's the old way. It's not that way in Christ, though. Right? The church... It's the temple of God. So it's still his house, but his house is no longer there. His house is where? It's here. And his house is where? It's here. We are the temple of God. Who is Jesus in regard to the temple? He's the high priest and the sacrificial lamb. The high priest and the sacrificial lamb. Jesus takes his blood into the Holy of Holies and puts it on the mercy seat once for all. Who's the Holy Spirit in regard to the temple when you think about the temple? He's the Shekinah. He's the Shekinah. If you remember, after they left Egypt, they would be led in the day by what? A cloud. And they would be led at night by a pillar of fire. And that was the way they got to where they were going. They got to Sinai. God gave them a bunch of commands about building his house called the tabernacle then. And they built the tabernacle. And what happened to that cloud? What did it do? 
it moved from the front of the column and it settled right down in the middle of the people, right on his mercy seat. And that was called the glory. That was the glory. And it became the glory of Israel. The glory of Israel was the Shekinah. It was the glow. It was the idea, it was the visible representation. God is there. And as long as God was there, you could see visible manifestation. Like you could walk by and there'd be a cloud or there'd be fire. It would be there. It wasn't just sort of like God's here somewhere. It was there. Fast forward to Judges chapter two. So, so, so sad. A woman has a baby. What does she name him? Do you remember? A woman has a baby. She's a prophetic birth. And she has to name him Ichabod. Ichabod means the glory has left. Because the people had so turned to idolatry and so turned away from the Lord, their God, that the Shekinah removed itself. But through Christ, the Shekinah comes, and where does it reside? The Holy Spirit resides within, within. And what do we as the people receive? The glory. And what do we do according to 2 Corinthians 3? We shine. And Paul says, so shine as stars in the world. Like be on display for who the Shekinah is in you. We truly, fully are the temple. Think about it in regard to the things that the church devotes itself to. What is the word of God in regard to the temple? What's the word of God in regard to the temple? I'd suggest it's the terms of the covenant. The word of God is the terms of the covenant. It's the table of showbread. Right? When we see uh, Charlton Heston come down from the mountain in the Ten Commandments, he's got two stone tablets. How many commandments are on each tablet? Five. Five, right? You got five here and you got five here. And this is like, this is it. But that's not how it worked. I think Keith has taught this here before, right? The terms of the covenant is you have your copy, all 10 on one. Terms of copy, all 10 on the other. In Christ, in Christ, the word is the terms of the covenant. When you read your Bible, when you see how God interacts with his people, that is what he is calling you to. And obedience to that is your greatest spot of life and joy. We talked about that this morning in the other class. Like obedience to the covenant and walking in the covenant, that is what you were made for. And that's the word of God to you. When you read that text, it's not just a Bible, right? It's not just words on a page. It is the actual life-giving word of God. It is the way that he interacts with you and me. And it's the way that he calls us to think about who he is and to think about who we are in regard to him. And there's no other way you can get that other than through his word. What is fellowship? Fellowship in terms of the temple. Exactly what we're doing right here. Corporate assembly and worship. The writer of Hebrews puts it oh so simply. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It matters. It matters. Our gatherings have become optional. You know, sort of like, what's going on? <laughs> Do we want to go to church today? Do we not want to go to church today? Do we want to gather with the covenant people? Like, is, wh- where's this at in our, like, what's all that we could do? How does this fit or not fit? 
Like, do just it's important to think about it rightly. I'm not, I don't want to order your life. I don't want to get legalistic about this. But it's important to understand that this matters. What we are doing right now matters. This is the fellowship of the saints as the temple of God. And there is no other way to reflect it. You cannot hold a personal faith in Christ without also holding a corporate faith in Christ. You can ignore that as much as you want, but that doesn't change the reality of what is real. That we are called to gather together as the people of God and worship God together. Furthermore, on top of that, when you gather together, how do you gather together? The people of God, I mean, you could feel it this morning, right? I mean, imagine, can you imagine being somebody who's like from Nazareth, like Jesus is, middle of nowhere, and you've been saving up. They would save up all year to make one trip at this time of the year, because you know what this time of the year is, right? We're right in the middle of the high holy days. Last week was Rosh Hashanah. In three days, what day, what day is it? Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. This is the most important day of the year. This is the day the covenant becomes actually sealed in and through us. And they would save all year and they would walk to Jerusalem singing the Psalms of Ascent. We are going to see God. We are going to meet God and we're doing it with God's people. Oh, and here's my friend from this other town along the way and we're going to pick up these relatives along the way and we're together going to walk to the temple and we're going to sing the songs of God and we're going to get to the temple and we're going to worship God there and we're going to hear his word proclaimed and we're going to pray in his presence and we're going to do it together. Baruch Atah Adonai. This is the greatest thing that we can have because God lives in our midst. Where else do we want to be? I wish I could do this every day. David says, one thing I desire from God, to be in his house, to gaze on his beauty, to delight in his presence. And we go to church. Whatever you expect when you come here is what you will get. Whatever you expect when you come here is what you will get. If you expect great and mighty things from the Lord when you gather with his people on his day in his house, you will receive great and mighty things from the Lord. If you go through the motions, then you'll go through the motions. I'm not trying to cast judgment either way. I am trying to invite you to something more and something deeper. Think about the people of God who were restricted from the presence of God. That you, do you realize, even when they made that trek, even when they saved all year to walk, even when they got there with their friends and their buddies and they were singing and, and it was anticipation and they were along the way, they still got there and they got to the inner courtyard and they had to stop and not go into God's house. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the longing for God to be able to go in there, but only the priest could go in there. It's like, oh, wouldn't it be great to be a priest? <laughs> and even if you were a priest, you could go in. But don't go too far. <laughs> it's like, even as a priest, like, man, wouldn't it be great to go back there? And even if you are that one dude who gets the great opportunity Can you imagine the amount of fear that you have going behind this thing? Like, I hope I did everything right. (laughs) You know, like, guys, let's check this one more time. Like, the blood, the wood, 
the fire, the bells? Is everything clean? Am I clean? How much deep introspection does the high priest go through <laughs> before he steps behind that? And even then, it's, it's in, it's blood on the seat, and then it's out. You don't dilly-dally in the Holy of Holies. But the scriptures are clear. You place the blood, you make the atonement for the nation, and you go. We have something in Christ that they never even dreamed of. And when the temple was destroyed, the people, oh, the bitterness and the weeping. It was when Assyria and Babylon came through. It was the, it was the end of everything for them. They had lost their complete, total national identity. It was over. But God redeems his people. And he gives us Jesus. And he makes us a temple. And he makes us a temple. And he says, do not forsake the gathering. Because we get to go all the way in. We get to go all the way in together. We get to go right past the table of showbread, right up those steps, right into the holy place, and jump up on dad's lap and say, what are we going to do today? That's the joy of the Abba relationship. It's still his house. It's just that now his house is here. And now he delights in taking residence up in here and in here. When we bought this building, we thought a lot about how we were going to spiritually cleanse it because this thing had been a lot of things (laughs) down through the years. And so we did all kinds of different stuff. And you were all part of that. If you were around at that point in time, this would have been 05. And like underneath this paint, our scriptures that are and prayers that are written and upstairs where the kids are is scriptures and prayers that are written all over the place. And man, there's like, I bet we used five gallons of oil on all of the everything, walls and thresholds and, and apartments. And, and I mean, we just put a lot of work into it. And it was Kyle and I at the time, we were up to this spot where we knew worship would take place and we're, or not just take place, but be led um, from up here. And so Kyle and I, we actually sat here and we just prayed, right? We were just like, Lord, God only knows what this stage has been used for in the past. This place used to be all kinds of different things, including a, a pornography theater and including a nightclub. You know, and who knows what kind of sin or what kind of objectification or what kind of lewdness took place here. You know, so like God... what? What do you, how do you want us to think about this? Like, this is an important spot for us. This is an important spot for Kyle's ministry. This is where he's going to do his thing from. Like, well, how, what, what do you want? And the Lord immediately, Kyle was there, I was here. And uh, the Lord immediately just came down and he was like, guys, you don't need to worry about that. Because that stuff doesn't live here anymore. We was like, that's awesome. Then the Lord said this, who lives here? God inhabits the praises of his people. God inhabits the praises of his people. And if you come up here as a, you're welcome to any time, but I mean, the worship team, every time they come up here, we paint it in big letters. Who lives here? Who lives here? It's right here. Who lives here? Because God lives here. This is his house. And we are together as his people. So when you come as the people of God, oh man, come. I mean, really, bring yourself overflow 
beyond anything that you can ask or think. Don't just go through your motions. The ordinances, the sacraments in regard to the temple. Think about the brazen altar. We're going to celebrate the Eucharist here in a little bit. This is our remembrance of our sacrificial lamb, his body broken, his blood spilled. He is the one who makes us holy. There is nothing that can happen in the temple until you go through the brazen altar. No one moves beyond the brazen altar without sacrifice. Prayer, incense, and the mercy seat, that exchange, the veil rent in two. We just talked about that. So if you think about prayer in regard to the church as the temple, it's the fact that the veil is gone. And there are our prayers, there's our communication to the Lord and his communication to us. No barrier, no blockage. It's just goodness, just relationship. When we think about this from these three perspectives of mission, leadership, and application, like so from a missional perspective, what does it mean for the church to be the temple of God? What does it mean for the church to be the temple of God? The word temple, um, am I headed the right way? Yeah. It's the idea of Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch was the teaching of identity. The great thing about being an ancient Jew is that any time that you ever engaged any part of the Old Testament, you knew that they were talking about you. That's pretty cool. It's like when you got your yearbook when you were in high school, what's the first thing you did? You look for yourself, right? You look for yourself. Where am I in this thing? You know, oh, I got in this picture here. I got in that picture there. Right? So, I mean, it, we're constantly looking as humans to self-identify where are we in the story? Where are we in the story? There's a word that we have or a concept that we have for people who have lost their place in the overall story. You know what that is? Hopeless. If you don't have a place where you fit into the story, you don't have hope. You don't have hope that you matter. The great thing about the Old Testament and Solomon's porch, what we just did here with our kids, is the idea of all these stories are actually about you. All this is actually about you. This is actually, like, you, you're a part of this. And Father Abraham, you're actually part of him. And Father Moses, you're part of him. And King David, you're part of him. Because we all come from the same stuff. We're all part of the same nation that God chose. This is who you are. This is your identity. So go and live that and go and be that. Go and be that the way that God made you to be that. And don't ever lose your love for the Torah. Because if you ever lose love for Torah, you'll forget who you are. And if you forget who you are, then you won't know how to be. And the story of the Old Testament is the people of God forgetting who they are. And then neglecting to do and to be what it is that God called them to. Their mission goes completely wrong. Because they're, they're, the mission of the people is to blessed to be a blessing. But that's immediately what Abraham heard. You are blessed to be a blessing. They lose it. And they start being blessed to do whatever they want. And pretty soon all these other idols start coming in. They're not blessed to be a blessing. They actually become a curse to themselves. And it brings judgment. But God never forgets his covenant. Because he brings Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus dies. And he redeems all these things. And he calls us and names us. And so now you realize that Solomon's porch still spiritually exists. Solomon's porch is still that you, my friends, and I are blessed to be a blessing. Like you heard what Peter said, right? Verse 9, 
The Jews were a chosen race, but now you are a chosen race. The priests got to go into the holy place and the holy of holies. But you, verse 9, are a royal priesthood. The nation of Israel was God's chosen nation. But now you and I are a holy nation. The people of God were the ones that God poured out his riches and goodness on and then extended it out through them. But you and I are a people of his own possession. And now he lavishes all that on us in Christ. This is still Solomon's porch. When you go home and read or listen to teaching, when you are in conversation and you're reminded about who you are as the church, you are blessed to be a blessing. The church still has that core identity that we are blessed to be a blessing, that we cannot keep this for ourselves, that we cannot keep this Jesus bottled up within or bottled up within here. When we leave here every day, there is a world that needs the blessing of God, that needs the blessing of Jesus, that needs the story of Christ declared in their own lives. And you and I are witnesses of his goodness, like we've tasted and seen it firsthand. So when we leave here, it's with this idea that are we blessed to be the temple of God as a person? Absolutely. Are we blessed to be the people of God corporately, the temple of God? Absolutely. But why are we blessed? We are blessed to go and bless. And that's our mission. From a leadership perspective, we are the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. We do not live in a hierarchical system that controls salvation or anything like that. You have access to God. You have access. You have full, 100%, daddy, I love you, access to God. That is who you are. That is your identity. And it is because of our high priest, Jesus, who draws us into the deep application of what it means to be the people of God. We are a covenantal community. The word covenant in Hebrew means to cut. The best way to think of a covenant, we don't just make covenants. Cut covenants. In the business world, when it comes time to pay your bills or time to pay your employees, you don't write checks. What do you do with checks? You cut checks. You realize a check is a really weird thing, right? A check means that like you've got money somewhere and someone's vouching for it. And here's some paper that says, if you take this to the people who vouch for me, they'll give you money. It's a very interesting thing. It's, it's deeply covenantal. There's a reason why you cut a check. You are making an agreement on paper. Right? And if you're like me, you use duplicate checks. So I have a copy and you have a copy. Right? And here we are with both of our copies. And so when you draw on it, if you take more, I'm going to find you. And if the money that I say is there isn't, you're going to find me. Because we have made a covenant together. We have cut a check. It's like the most basic, rudimentary picture of what it means for a covenant to be aware. But that, that is now extended in and to things. Jesus is cut 
for us. And he both writes and cashes the check and then just throws it all on you. Here's love. Here's goodness. Here's grace and mercy. Here's justice and life. Here it is. I worked for the money. I wrote the check. I cashed it on my own account. And you don't deserve it at all. And here it all is. Furthermore, yeah, furthermore, you don't have any place to live and you don't have anybody to care for you. In fact, sin hates you. Sin tried to abort you. Sin threw you off into a field somewhere and just left you to die scorching in the sun. I came along and I love you. I saw you and I saw you in your sin and I saw you in your death. And I said, no, I said, live, live where death would have you. And I told death that it can die. And I sealed it forever because I died for you. And my blood speaks a better word than the word that death speaks to you that says die. No, where death says the word die, I say the word live, and my blood is a better word. So death can go to hell. Let's give God a hand. Yeah. Furthermore, not only do I rescue you, but I name you, and I call you. And where you feel like you don't matter, you so do. You so matter. You're so significant to me. So significant to the kingdom. And only you can be you. That's what you do best. So stop trying to be somebody else and be you because you got to understand something. You come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, you are chosen and precious. So you see, if you, you're going to take your goodness, you're going to take the significance that God means for you to walk in, and you're going to take it out there, and they're not going to understand. They're not going to understand you. Jesus said it. The world is going to hate you. It hated me. Right? The church was never not meant to be resisted. They're not going to get it. But I do. And your identity isn't someone who's rejected and not chosen. Your identity is that you are a living stone, that I am making something great because you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You are my temple and you are an important, vital, living stone in that temple. One of the great frustrations of pastoral ministry is that we forget that we are stones, right? And so, uh, man, I wish I had a block wall. I don't have a block wall. But like, just imagine that, uh, imagine this is a block wall. Everybody know what a block wall is, right? The, the cinder blocks. Sort of like, here I am, and I get so focused on me, it's like, somebody take care of my stone. Like, does somebody not see that I'm in big trouble here? All I can see is this. And I'm like, man, I'm not even, I don't even matter. And everybody else thinks that I don't matter because all I am is this stupid stone. I'm just sort of like laying around somewhere because all I can see is this. This is me. I'm disconnected. I'm unaware of the fact that I'm not disconnected. I'm unaware of the fact that if I would ever just back up and look at the big picture instead of my myopic view of myself, that I could see that I'm actually a part of something magnificent that is the house of God. And the more that I walk in my identity as a living stone of the Most High God built into a spiritual temple, 
the more that I can understand what it means for Jesus to have cut a covenant for me. Because a stone on its own, sort of disconnected, it, 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 I mean, it's just sort of there. But you take that same stone and you build it into the picture that we saw of Solomon's temple, and what do you have? You've got this incredible, glorious picture of the house of the Lord. And that's what God is doing corporately as the people of God. That what the world has rejected and said no to and thrown away and beat down, Jesus says, no, I will build you up. And he takes each one of us and he puts us right where we belong. And we look at the stone, a few stones down, and we're like, man, that stone's got better gifts than me. Or man, that stone, it sure can, it sure is spiritually powerful. I wish I was powerful like that. That stone, it sure is significant. I'm not very significant. That's not at all what God says. God fits each one of us directly into where we belong. And our job is to play that role, is to be that person. Because if we're not, then the temple goes without that stone. And what happens when stones stop being stones? What happens when they disconnect and fall away? The house gets broken down. And the house gets in disarray. And it's because we forget who we are. We forget that we're the temple of the Most High God. And that God has cut his covenant with us by his own blood, by his own power. And he's taken that whole covenant on himself. So that Father Moses and the people of Israel, you know, here's two sides of the covenant. God kept his. You didn't keep yours. Wham! Bunch of dead people. Drink this. Now do you get it? Now we get it. We'll do it. We'll do it. We promise. And then what do they do? Back to idols. And then God judges and brings them back around. We get it. We'll stop. Like they kept forgetting who they were. We do the exact same thing. Let's not be quick to judge. Because we forget who we are. And we all have our idols. And we all have our junk. And we all have these things that tell us that we're something that we're not. But God continually pulls us back to our identity in him. You are a chosen nation. You are a holy nation. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a people for his own. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There was a time when you were not chosen. But now he has chosen you and made you a people of his own. This is who you are. You are the glorious temple of the most high God. And he is delighted to dwell within you. This is your reality. This is your identity. And this all comes in and through Christ. We don't even have to work for it. We don't have to pay for it. We can't pay for it. The cost is too high. The temple is invaluable, priceless. Because it's a temple that was bought with Christ's own blood. So when Jesus sits down with his disciples for one last meal, he takes the bread And he breaks it and he says, this is my body broken for you. Take this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Then he takes the cup and he blesses it and he says, this cup is what? The new covenant in my blood. Every time that you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. It is the death of Jesus, the blood of Christ 
that cuts us into covenant with God with all of that reality and all that responsibility fully on him so that we can be the covenantal community that God calls us to. I had a friend who, he and his wife, they got married and they rented an apartment. And uh, the apartment was a nice place. It was in a good spot. It was close to work, all that kind of stuff. You know, and they had signed a lease. And uh, it turned out that their landlord, who lived downstairs, um, was a drug dealer. And so, like, all night long, people were coming in and out, in and out, in and out. And they were sort of, and it was just, it wasn't not a good situation. And he worked nights. And so there was this, this like, very shady crowd, you know, just sort of, like, rotating through the home all the time. And it was leaving his wife at home alone, you know, in this situation. And he just didn't feel good about it. So you know what he did? They moved. They sacrificed their security deposit. And they got out of Dodge. And they went and did something else. They broke the contract so that they could guard the covenant. Because contracts and covenants are two vastly different things. And in a culture that says contract, 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 the Eucharist declares covenant, covenant, covenant. This says you do your thing and I'll do my thing. Jesus says I've done everything. This says cleanse, purify, work hard to keep your temple everything that it should be. Jesus says I cleanse, I purify. You be you. You be my people. Abide in the vine. Be who I made you to be. Don't be anything else. Be the full, glorious, strong, redeemed, cleansed, set apart, sanctified, glorified people of God. That is you. You are my temple. And I delight to dwell in you. God, thank you for the beauty of the identity that we have as the temple of God. God, drive home in our hearts and God, open a door in our minds to receive more and more deeply this identity of we, your church. Thank you for the covenantal, life-giving nature of our Savior. And even now, as we celebrate this Eucharist together, we give you thanks. And we remember you, that this covenant was deeply, deeply cut. Cut right through your own very body. And your body broken and your blood spilled is what unites us together as your people. And our hearts are full of blessing to you. Baruch Atah Adonai, God. We bless you. We bless you. We thank you. We love you. And now, during this time, we remember you. And we ask you to drive home again and reveal to us again and to open up for us again the depths of the reality of what it means for our covenant to be cut in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. The... uh, the story of the temple is one of like incredible high and incredible low. 
It really is. I mean, the the idea of the Shekinah filling and the time. I mean, imagine the joy on that day. Imagine the sorrow when the glory departed. And then imagine the shame and the just the toil. They worked so hard to get the glory back. They just worked so hard to get the glory back, and they just abjectly failed every time. Because no matter how hard they worked, they couldn't conquer those idols on their own. And so the ups and downs of the temple, from an emotional standpoint, is God coming down, incredible joy, incredible mountain experience, David and Solomon, this massive crash when the glory departs, and the temple is destroyed, and it's built again by a pagan king, actually, a guy named Herod. And he builds the temple again, but there's no glory. Every time in the tabernacle, in the temple, in David's tabernacle, in Solomon's temple, even when Zerubbabel rebuilt it, the glory came down. The glory came down. And God showed up. But when Herod built that temple, the glory did not. It was a gloryless, Shekinah-less temple. So history is continuing, and Jesus comes into the world, and he's born, and he is commissioned in his ministry, and the disciples are walking with him and following him. And where does Jesus go? He goes to the temple and he gets there and what does he see? He sees extortion. He sees poor people being oppressed. What makes God more mad than that? <laughs> Nothing. And Jesus just just in, in righteous rage turns all these things over and they're like, can you believe what he's doing to the temple? Can you believe what he's doing to the temple? And he takes out a whip and he's beating people with it that were oppressing people. And, and what does it say? What does the scripture say that the disciples reflected on about Jesus? Zeal for the Lord's house filled him. And Jesus said, my father's house is not a den of robbers. What does he call it? A house of prayer. A house of prayer. A house of communication with God. And they, the Shekinah showed up. Right? Jesus himself walked into the temple and they missed him. They missed him. But his invitation is don't miss me. Don't miss me. Don't forget what this house is for. Don't forget what this house is for. Don't forget what this house is for. This is where we meet with God. This is where we meet with God. You are literally a house of prayer. We are the temple of God. We are a house of prayer. This is our purpose, is to know God and to be with him and to be in his presence. And that's it. That's the beauty. That's the beauty. And I think God is calling to us again to receive the depths of what it means for us, for we, for Cornerstone, to be a house of prayer. We are the temple of God as his church. What does it mean for us to be a house of prayer? That's what God's inviting us into, what we're going to continue pushing into as we explore what it means for us to be.
the church that is a temple of God. God, we receive these good things from you, and we say thank you. We say thank you. Our hearts are filled with life and goodness that is from you, and we worship you. Thank you for being in our midst, and we do not want to miss you. So God, continually draw us back to why we are a temple, to be a house of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.